Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. If you're joining us for the first time, an extra welcome to to you. And the reason that I say good morning, afternoon, and evening is because we have listeners from around the world, both joining us live and on podcast. So since I never know what time zone somebody's going to be in, I always say good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I love being here with you every week. I love doing it via live stream now versus broadcast radio because I get to set the tone. I get to set the time. And if a guest can't quite make it at the exact time, I can be a lot more flexible. But that's not the case with our current guest today. Um, oh, my God. I'm so excited to have my guest with you here today. I ran a webinar with him for my friend Dina Moskowitz's company, Sazmax, and he just blew me away. I just love, love, love him. We did two webinars, one about your story, one about demos, and I had to have him on the show. He also runs an incredibly successful podcast as well. But what I love about my guest is how he seems to weave every aspect of who he is into his story. And sometimes he makes all of those aspects into another career. He doesn't put any one part of it aside. He is known for helping startups tell their story, pitch to get capital, and also to help any company learn how to tell their story better. Plus, he is a hip-hop rapper, hip-hop artist, and he is also a yoga instructor. So please welcome to my show today my incredible guest, and I'm having trouble speaking because I'm just so excited to invite <laughs> AKA Raj Nation, Rajiv Nathan. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here, uh, and it's awesome to, to be back on a, uh, a webcam setting with you once again, Laura. Yeah, we had, I enjoyed being with you so much on the two webinars that we did. And I'm laughing because just before the show started, um, I saw, you know, you came on camera and I saw your shirt and my, my fans know, my listeners know that I almost always wear a turquoise or a cobalt blue shirt, but it's normally turquoise. And for some reason I woke up this morning and I said, I'm, I'm not going to put that shirt on. I don't know why I'm not putting that show shirt on. And I put my New York black on. <laughs> well, funny I mean, you say that because coincidentally, when I woke up this morning, I said, something's telling me Laura's not going to wear this color shirt. So I should. <laughs> <laughs> we both have similar branding colors in, in the beautiful <laughs> turquoise realm. And you even showed me your, um, your cup that you drink from with your logo and the color of it and everything. And, and that's all part branding, right? So right. I'm laughing because I'm going kind of going a little against my branding. But you know what? That's part of it. My my New York in me always wants to wear black. I don't know why. <laughs> my Florida in me wants to wear their color you're wearing. So let, let's talk about that a bit, Raj. You have created this amazing career, helping companies tell their story, set their branding. And one of the things I love about you is how you say your story needs to be all of you, all of your company, not just a piece of your company. Why is that so important? 
So I think to answer that, it's a great question. We got to understand about like why is story important in the first place, and then we can really dissect why is all of, like why is all of you important. And what every company has to understand, whether they sell a product, whether they sell a service, unless you're selling something that is like a commodity, can of peas on the shelf, right? Don't really care if you're buying Del Monte or Dole at that point. You just want the one that's 79 cents. And oh, no, I'm organic. a Lesore Peas girl. Lesore Peas. <laughs> the only one. <laughs> and, you know, maybe you'll pay like, you know, 10 cents more if it's organic if you want that. But you're, you're generally speaking, you're, it's, you know, it's food at that point and it's, it's very like base produce. So you're not necessarily like buying on brand or you don't need to know like the story behind the peas, right? Right. If you think of your company and your product or your service as something that is better than how people would shop for a can of peas, and you don't want to be commoditized down to that consideration set of, oh, it's just something off the shelf, um, that's where story really becomes a differentiator. Because customers will gravitate towards the story, the best story that's told to them, far more than they will gravitate towards the best product, if you will. And that's not to say I have a bad product. It's to say throwing all your features at someone does not make you a better company and it does not increase you in someone's consideration set. It's the way you talk about things, the way you talk about your company, the way you talk about the customer and what they're going through. That's going to get someone to have a different type of buying experience to where they really ultimately, they say to themselves, well, I align with their belief system. They have a great product, but you know what? More than anything else, they think about the industry the way no one else does. We have to get on board with them because they're going places and they're going to take us there. Right? That's that that like that level of buying is so much more strategic on the buyer side. And when it's that level of buying, the quality of the conversations changes and it, it improves. The type of deal that you're going to win and close is better. It's a healthier deal. It's not like, it's not the deal where you get the customer in the door and then they're a terrible customer and they like abuse your customer service team or customer success team. It's a customer that wants to be a partner with you. And honestly, typically the, the, the value of the deal increases as well. So you, so you make more money as a result of telling a good story. Now, to your question of, well, why is it all of you and not just a slice of you? I think because if you try to create this like concocted identity where you're like, no, no, it's only it's only this thing and everything else. We can't talk about that or we can't say that. I'm not saying you got to go in and be like, hey, we're going to tell you we're going to tell you all 10 parts about us. That's not the point. I'm not saying you got to do that. What I'm saying is don't proactively like hide parts of your brand because you feel like it doesn't fit because all of it is part of your brand at the end of the day. And it's all leading towards some unifying message. The key is figuring out what is the unifying message that these other aspects are a natural trickle down from. Okay. So let's expand upon that a little bit using you as an example. All right. You teach yoga. You are a rapper, hip hop artist. Mm -hmm. You 
teach startup companies how to get their story. You teach existing companies how to get their story. You run a podcast and there's like 10 other things that you do. So using you as the example, how does that all fit? I mean, you brand yourself as Raj Nation. Mm-hmm. How, how does that all come together? How does somebody start thinking about that for them? Well, and one of the things we can add to the list is um, announcer and MC. Uh, very recently, I announced a, I was the ring announcer for an MMA fight. Really? Uh, and Yeah. And we'll soon be doing uh, pro wrestling ring announcing as well, which is literally like my dream that I've had since I was a kid. So, so um, like the whole let's get ready to rumble guy. Yeah, I mean, I had to come up with like my own catchphrase, right? Which ready. was let's get, I said, get ready for a night because it is time to fight. Uh, but, and I'm doing like that in this corner and in this corner, right? Weighing in at this many pounds. All right. So that was me two weeks ago, that's um, awesome, Rush. which was a wonderful experience. Uh, and that's kind of like part of like the portfolio, right? So thinking about this from like a personal sense, which is I think where your question is directed, like how, how have I been able to pull this off at a personal level? I will caveat everything with, it's not easy. Like, you know, it's come, it's come with its stumbles along the way and the figuring it out along the way. But all of these different things that I do are, are all aligned under one core belief. And that is like my, my fundamental belief about the world is that everyone deserves a voice. And the way I'm going to try to channel that in my life is I'm going to try to help give people a voice through different forms of expression and storytelling. Okay. All right. So say that, say that one more time. Give people a voice. Go ahead. Yeah. My fundamental belief is that everyone deserves a voice. And so my life's mission across all the things that I do is I'm going to help give people a voice. I'm going to help give brands a voice, give companies a voice, individuals a voice through different forms of expression and storytelling. That's, that's a very clear mission. And if you, I'm sure you're familiar with the, the Simon Sinek, why, how, what model, right? Right. I am. Yeah. My so listeners I, you know, may not be. So, so, you know, about 10 years ago is when I saw that Ted talk for the first time. And that actually like just fundamentally, I, I rarely say something like fundamentally changed me, but, but that, but that talk specifically fundamentally changed how I was like thinking about life or it helped like codify it for me almost. And so I did it like, you know, I, I went through this very like deep, like internal learning process. And what I ultimately realized over a couple of years stretch was that's like my why is this belief of everyone deserves a voice. That like that's actually why I think I was put on this earth was to give give the world a voice and it's you know give different parts of the world a voice. And so the chariot that I'm going to ride to get there, the, that's the why. And then the chariot, the how, is this is the idea of storytelling in its different capacities. So startup hype man working with startups, working with companies on how they pitch themselves, right? That's figuring out, hey, what's your voice? Rapping, hip hop. That's you know, that's using my voice to tell stories. Teaching yoga, right? I, I you know, the way I look at constructing a class is as a narrative arc, and I'm what I'm doing as a teacher. If anyone ever takes my classes, whether they consciously are getting it or subconsciously are getting it, what I'm delivering in those classes is. 
how can I help this person leave the room feeling empowered in some way, right? Which is a form of owning your voice. Okay. The ring announcing, right? Literally voice expression, helping hype this person up, helping them feel like they're going to like, you know, kick some butt against this other person in the ring. And so all of these different things that I do, right? There's some, they are some manifestation of voice and storytelling. I, I love that so much for, for several reasons. Number one, having followed you for a while now because of the webinars that we did for SASMAX and then listening to your, your shows I haven't, I will admit, I've not listened to your rap and I've, I've not watched any of your yoga stuff, but we've had enough conversations and I've watched enough of those things that I get your passion for helping somebody find their voice and to share that. And so much of it through story. Yet when, when I work with several of my clients, well, even on my own, Raj, I'm struggling to figure out what my underlying story, vision, mission is for my clients, other than that I want them to have have their dreams, you know, but that's that's just a small sort of top part of it, right? I want them to unlock who they are, unlock who their business is and stop struggling with things that they don't need to struggle with. Mm -hmm. But telling that story for many entrepreneurs is, is so difficult. And I don't know why it's so difficult. It's always easier when somebody else comes in, observes for a while and, and says, Hey, this is what I watched. This is what I saw. This is what you're actually doing. Right. That's why I love consulting for companies because I can go in and see immediately Oh, you're hitting this wall, but why are you hitting that wall? Just shift to your left a little bit and look at the flow that happens, right? How can my listeners start sort of unlocking their story to tell it? Yeah. So the where where the struggle comes in, I think at a at a like how do you figure it out for yourself level is um, I, I call it the messaging treadmill because I've, I've talked to like over a thousand company leaders over the years. And I feel like it's a gerbil wheel. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. You can look at it as a hamster, a hamster wheel, a gerbil wheel or a treadmill, but it's this idea of like running in place. And the top three reasons that have come, come out over those thousand plus conversations have been two in the weeds or they're just too like technical minded. Like they know like their product really well, but they don't necessarily know the communication of it well, or they're just too caught up in the day to day. Um, like, focus on other things. And so when that's kind of the state of the lived experience, it can be really hard to take that a healthy step back and say, okay, what are we delivering here at the end of the day? So I'll give a kind of, um, I'll, I'll answer your question first with a question. Do you okay. want me to direct my answer here as how would a company do this or how would a individual for like their own personal brand do this? You know, that's, that's interesting. We may want to go into both of that, but I sure. have a I have a question back to you around that. Can personal brand be different than your business brand if you are an entrepreneur? Not if you're a large corporation, 
right? Because a large corporation has their brand and then there may be thousands of people working inside that organization. And those people may have their personal brands outside of work. But what if the person, it's their company and maybe they're, they're a solopreneur or maybe they've got five or 10 employees, but they're the face, right? Mm -hmm. They haven't yet separated out their company from their individual being. Great. Okay. So that's, that's, that's really good. So if it's solopreneur or, you know, five, 10 person company, the, the company really is your brand. Like, like your personal brand is the company essentially, or the company is a reflection of your personal brand, I should say. Um, especially if you're, you know, a, a one person show because they're buying off personality. I mean, they're, they're Base level competence needs to be there, but then there's they're looking for, do we see that this is a personality we can get along with, that we trust, and that ultimately um, we're, we're going to believe in to, to help us. So it is very much, if it's not one and the same, it's just that like they are reflections of one another. And then even as a company grows, what it's growing out of is the, the founder's like original personal brand or their personal vision. Right. Um, any, you know, any high growth tech company started with one or two people's original vision. And then as they get funding, as they get employees, all that, all that is a um, representation of is the expansion of that original vision. Okay. Cause like, if we look at, we'll just talk about crazy successful that started out tiny, Amazon, Jeff Bezos, mm -hmm. he was packaging books with his wife in the garage and mailing them out. Hewlett Packard started in a garage. Apple, the way that started. If you're starting a company with the plan of this is where you want it to go, do you have to think about your branding differently when you start or can you morph it? You can definitely morph it. I think most companies do. Um or, but I, I, I often find, you know, the, the pivot, if you will, or the, the rebrand, it's really just like repackaging of still some, ver some version of the base vision. Um, you know, like, I think like Nintendo started out as playing cards long, long time ago. Like, Very long like, time ago. Right. Like late 1800s, early mid 1900s. Right ultimately becomes this hyper successful video game company. But what happened was it's, it's, it's a game at the end of the day and whatever CEO that took over either carried forward the original vision or came in and said, well, this is like a reset of our company and now we're going to be expanding on my vision. Right? So it's always all these physical representations, these physical manifestations that we see, are manifestations of some person or some group's core vision. And that's why like, whenever I work with companies, I always try to figure out what is your point of view? Like, what's your mm -hmm. point of view on the market, on the industry? What do you believe that no one else does that you can say, you can put a flag in the ground and say, everyone else is doing it this way and that's stupid. We believe everyone should be doing it this way. We believe the industry has to move in this direction. 
that becomes the point of view. And then that, and then when you start to deliver that in your customer interactions, now you're building out, you're, you're, you're starting to promote that belief system, right? That's the brand is the belief system. And I'll often have these conversations with my clients, especially, especially when you get to that inevitable point of like talking in circles. Cause they're like, well, we could do it this way or we could do it this way. Or like, Oh, what if we went back to this thing? Um, I will, I will tell them, I'll be like, okay, look, you have got to stop getting like so tactical about this, about like what the product offers. And we need to look at what is the religion of your brand? The, the world's most successful brands historically are the different world religions, right? They have yeah. persisted through time. They persisted through market shifts, through economic downturns, through economic booms and through cultural changes, right? The world's religions are all the best brands. And everyone knows like, if you're, if you, if you follow a certain religion, you know, like what, like the terms are of being part of that, that belief right. system, right? You know what it means to sit in the pew. Mm -hmm. You know what it means to do the wrong things. You know what the right things are supposed to look like. And you know what enlightenment looks like or is supposed to be quote unquote. So similarly, brands need to think about, okay, what is our, what's our religion here? What's our belief system? What does it mean for someone to be in our community or to be in our customer base? What does it mean for that community? If like, like, do they know what like doing the wrong thing is? Do they know what doing the right thing is? What does enlightenment look like for them? Because if we can build people under that belief system, we're not just going to have customers. We're going to have champions. We're going to have stewards of our brand who, who then carry our mission and our message to the people they know, which is literally what all religions have, right? <laughs> It, it It is. And, you know, the thought that went into my head right away, and I'm, I'm getting text messages and I'm seeing stuff starting to pop up in the chat about people are really enjoying the conversation that we're having this discussion. So thank you, everybody who's watching us live. Feel free to put questions into the chat on whatever platform you're watching us live. And uh, we're happy to try to bring some of those questions in. So like listening to the whole religion conversation, right? I've done studies of pretty much every major world religion because I was fascinated by it. After my brother died when I was 10, I just was annoyed at God, right? So I'm like, well, maybe my Catholic religion's version isn't you know this is it is all God the same. So I started doing these studies of religion. And every single religion doesn't like to admit it but they changed over time. They became a corporation of some way and they decided, well, we need more money here or that's no good for our brand. So, you know, and Catholic priests used to be married, then they weren't allowed to be married, you know, but not a lot of people know all this stuff. So over time, and in case of religion, centuries, sure some of these things have been forgotten. But in this day and age with social media, it can be difficult for a brand's pivot to be forgotten because there's all that backstory, all the, the history that's out there on social. So how does somebody navigate if they're 
getting their story out there and they're looking and they're making a pivot for some reason to not have it blow up in their face. Well, I think, you know, it's, it's easier to access an archive of information now, but there was always archivable information, right? Like if you really wanted to, like you did, you could find that, for example, there have been shifts in Catholicism over time. Right. No meat on Fridays during Lent is a relatively new concept. Well, that was just to help the fishermen make right. money. Right. Because <laughs> they were struggling. <laughs> right. And so like, and, and that's, and that was like a, it was like a corporate decision, if you will. Right. right. Um, and, and some people know that if they want to do the research, others have never thought about that. But I think in and the same care. way, even though, what's that? And they don't care. Right. Yeah. And they don't care. And I think similarly, a brand, even though there's, you know, the archive is digital now, things get buried in the feed within an hour. <laughs> Right. So it's only if someone's going to choose to make the like, sure it's all going to exist, but there's always going to be a core of people who choose to like explore every angle of something. And those who say, well, you know, what? what's presented in front of me is the reality and it's truth. And I'm just going to go along with it until someone puts something in front of me. And basically someone else does the work to say, well, actually, this is what's happening. Right. And I'll tell you at a personal level. Right. Like I was I was terrified when I closed down my first company five-ish years ago, um, uh, fall of 2016. Uh, my first company, we, it was called Idea Lemon, uh, ran that with my co-founder. And we had built up a ton of like goodwill with our brand in the Chicago and the Midwest area. And a bunch of people came to know us for the content we created. The um, uh, the the workshops we were doing on on and it was a personal brand development business. Uh, not a ton of people were buying from us, but <laughs> they were they were enjoying our content and they knew us to be this brand of Idea Lemon. And I remembered when we had to shut it down because we just couldn't figure out the right revenue model for it. I was like, I was in this identity crisis mode, and I was considering, you know, oh, should I just buy out the company from my co-founder? because I can't lose this brand name. Oh, and interesting. Uh, you know, and also, cause I was like, oh, like, I, I've built my identity around this brand name, right? right? People know me attached to that. And and ultimately I decided not to, cause I remember having a conversation with uh, with someone else who was, who had, you know, come to know me. And I was like, hey, like if I had to close Idea Lemon down and um, you know, it didn't exist anymore, like would that change your opinion of me? And he was like, dude, businesses close every day. You're no, you're not special. <laughs> He's like, you're still going to be you regardless of what you build or who you work for or don't work for. So no. And I was like, okay, that's all. That was what I needed to hear in that moment. And I, you know, we shut that down, built startup hype, man. And guess what? This is, I think the first time you're hearing of Idea Lemon and we've known each other for all of 2021. Right. So, so over a year, right? It, right. Yeah, and it wasn't, it came up. and it's not a problem that people don't know that now. Cause I, I've built something else. My name is attached to that. And I do things with that, that I enjoy and that, that are helpful. If someone wants to get into that legacy conversation, they can, I'm not ashamed of it by any means, but not, you don't need to know. You don't need to know that I did that first to know what I'm doing now. Okay. You're a serial entrepreneur. 
Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly. the way you can spin it. <laughs> like my, my listeners all know that I had a 15-year tech services company, Guardian Angel Computer Services. When I sold the company, I felt lost because <laughs> my identity was so in running and building that business. And I was the face of the business, even though I started going more behind the scenes on it. So that can be really hard for people. But when you ran Idea Lemon and now you're doing Raj Nation and Startup Hype Man and all of the stuff that you're doing now, there's still an element, well, more so now, social media, right? You've got the podcast, you've got uh, your posts on LinkedIn and things like that. Let's, uh, a question came up inside the chat. People are like, but what about if it, something like Christy Teigen happens where she got called out for cyberbullying and she had built this huge brand recently, but something surfaced from when she was first on Twitter mm. where she realized people said, you bullied me. And that can surface. So how do you as a brand, does that matter? Do you have to have an answer prepared? I mean, the landscape has changed so much for businesses that are starting up now that it could come up. I know you do a lot of work with tech startups. Okay. A lot of the men who are creating these tech startups, if you go back and look in their pasts, it's some pretty nasty stuff because it was acceptable back then, mm-hmm. right? So how does somebody prepare for, or do they need to prepare for, Raj, what may begin to come up? So this is, is, that, this is a little is tricky because I think now it's like the realm of like PR and reputation management, which- But isn't that part of the story you have to be prepared for when you're creating and building a company because you can't be seen as inauthentic, anymore. Correct. Yeah, of course. Authenticity, transparency wins the day. I think so I'll say this with, with, with potential like bad stuff from your past. Um, there's a gamble here, but I'm on the side of like get out in front of it before other people do and admit to your mistakes before other people find them out about you. Because you can tell the story then. Right. And and I understand that that carries its own challenges as well. Like, why would you just up and say something that no one may ever find out about? But chances are someone might. Um, Or I guess the better answer is just be a good person (laughs) and don't and don't don't be crappy to people along along your life. Um, But I think with like. You know, like so, like the Chrissy Teigen example, which I'm I'm not familiar with, admittedly, I I, I did not hear about that story. But um, these, like, like okay, people are going to make mistakes along the way. Generally speaking, they tend to be aberrations, but don't they're not part of the brand story. They're not like they're not. Um, If your company is a highway, like these are like exits that may have happened, but the highway still keeps going. Um, and, and the way this is not maybe the best answer, but United Airlines, what, two years ago, beat up that passenger. <laughs> Remember? <laughs> oh, my God. That was horrible. The doctor, right? Right. And what happened? People were in an uproar. 
They said, oh, I'm never flying United again. Guess who's flying United again? A lot of people. <laughs> right? So most things will, this too shall pass. Yeah, exactly, right? Like people, people forget and they ultimately default back to, well, what is the ultimate value I'm getting out of this? Now, I don't say that as a pass for brands or for people to be terrible to others or to to be ex, to uh, to be discriminatory or to be abusive or anything like that. I'm saying if you have a rogue employee, if there's a blip there, if it's not a trend, if there's not a culture built around it, people will ultimately, after the initial crisis, people will come back based on do they offer something of value to me? Do they have a valuable place in my life? And in some cases, could it possibly be, well, you know what? I like their product. It's convenient. So I really don't care about right. the, the individual's behavior. Um, I care about the product and I like it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and with something like with airlines, right? Like people ultimately are going to default back to, is the flight comfortable? Can I get a good price? Right. And everybody bashes Amazon and Jeff Bezos, right? But that hasn't hurt their bottom line whatsoever because it's become simple and easy to get everything you want. And during COVID, it became even easier to just mm -hmm. click a button and it magically appeared at the door. Right. And, so and having, if you look at that kind of a scenario, right, with the Amazon, I think there's a bunch of us who like, we're very conflicted about the idea of Amazon because we know it like crushes small businesses and yet we still, you know, buy from it like three times a week because of the convenience level. And if you look at, you know, what is Amazon built on? What is their brand built around? It's an ultimate like value or promise of the most convenient way to get things. Right. So if you care in your life about convenience, you're probably going to buy from Amazon or, you know, with, uh, with ride sharing, right. It's a little bit different now because I think <laughs> because they realize in order to be profitable, they have to spend, they can only charge like 40 bucks a ride now. Uh, Cause they're not, there's a great New York times article recently called about like the millennial subsidy economy about how like Silicon Valley investors just subsidized luxurious lifestyles for everyone by right. making it like, you know, three bucks to get a personal driver when that should never cost three bucks. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so a little bit different now, but like if you look at companies like Uber or Lyft, right, if if convenience is a value in your life ahead of other things, you're going to buy from Uber or Lyft, even when, you know, Travis Kalanick, like this kind of like rogue CEO does a lot of says and does a lot of bad things. Well, right. if the company manages itself well, then, and you know, they replace him and they say, here's what we're doing about it. You, you'll default back to, well, it's convenient enough for me. But I'll tell you, like, I have a friend who proactively has always avoided using any ride sharing service because they don't believe in taking jobs away from taxi drivers. And so for them, convenience is not what's most important to them. And so they will, they will, they will absorb more inconvenience, whether it was paying more or standing out on the road for five minutes with your arm up, they will absorb that inconvenience because of their belief system. 
I've not done Uber or Lyft or any of them, probably because as a woman who used to travel alone, I felt cabs were safer. And I still mm. do. Because it's kind of a known corporate kind of thing. And when I was in and out of New York all the time, because that's where I grew up in and out of Manhattan, you learn to look for a gypsy cab versus a corporate cab because gypsy cabs could be dangerous. Mm. So you made sure you did corporate cabs. Yeah. <laughs> but that's my belief system. It's it's the way I was raised. Maybe the other things are totally safe, but I know what makes me feel safe. So I'm willing to be a little bit um, less convenienced. Although now in Manhattan, you see the cabs going by and the cab companies have apps now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they learn, <laughs> right? They had to grow and they had to learn. So when these shifts are happening, right, Raj, where you've got the Uber and Lyfts going and, and trying to completely change the way we do business or the Amazons, and you are not a behemoth, right? You're not this giant. You're a smaller business attempting to grow into perhaps, a, you know, an Amazon or an Uber or uh, Levi's or whatever it may be. How do you start making your way with your story to get it out there, to start yeah. expanding your story, your brand? So, that's where I think it comes back to like, even at a individual or a small business level, what's your point of view, right? What do you believe about the market and what do you want to build a community around? You have that, the other like kind of tactical thing I would say, and, and one, one example I could give with that is, you know, like one of the yoga studios that I teach for their belief is that, yoga should be accessible for everybody. And so we're not going to have like level one versus level two versus level three classes because we think that creates more separation and it actually like limits people who think, oh, I'm not a level two. We're just going to integrate it all into the same class. And that's how we're going to create community because we value community and we think it should be for everybody. And then okay. recently they changed their pricing model to, to, to further fulfill this, we believe it should be for everybody. They change their pricing model to a pay what you can studio. So, hey, if you can afford this class, here's our like kind of like standard rate. But if you can't afford that, you could pay this or you could pay whatever you wanted. Or, hey, maybe you want to pay more than our standard rate because you want to actually you know give back to the community. Because we want to make this accessible for everybody. And that's fundamentally different than... Um, some of those like national chain yoga brands who are like, well, we're going to create this like elite and, and there's a whole, whole separate conversation around like cultural appropriation. We can get into with that, that we won't um, around building like, you know, this like elite, you know, yogi kind of co concept. Right. Which doesn't fit with the fundamentals of yoga. Right. Exactly. Right. And what that's, and that's a different kind of take. It's we're going to charge a lot of money. We're going, we want this specific type of person there. We want with this specific body type. Uh, we're going to hire these kinds of people, right? Different point of view on the market. Now, again, I think that's the wrong point of view personally, and I'm not going to align with that. But I also proactively decide I'm not going to buy from them 
And I'm going to buy from the studios who have the point of view that I can get on board with. Right. And other people will buy from that one because they're their target market. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The other aspect is you have to be able to sort of like start to get your story out there. It has to be something that other people are going to care about, um, which is where we come into, as, as you're familiar from the work we've done together before on the SASMAC stuff, um, is that um, like, what's your, like, what's your pitch, right? Like what's your pitch to your customers, to your community, to your audience to get them to care about what it is you have. And the only way they're going to care is if you make it relevant to them and you show that you are in touch with what they are going through. So the, the kind of the irony here is your story becomes less about you and more about the customer base, the community, the audience. And so the, the formula, which you may recall from one of our webinars we've done together, um, that I always think like the best starting point is figuring out the elevator pitch because that's like, that's the sound bite. If you can get the sound bite right, everything else becomes a lot easier. And so the formula that I've developed with Startup Hype Man over the years is called the Que Pasa elevator pitch formula, which um, Que Pasa in Spanish means what's up or what's happening. And so the acronym is P-A-S-A here, which is Problem, Approach, Solution, Action. You open with problem, meaning what is the existing problem? What's the pain? What's the challenge your audience is experiencing? And by highlighting that first, you provide context and frame of reference for why you should exist. But most importantly, you generate empathy with them. You get them to want to listen because they're saying, oh, she's speaking to me. Like I, I, I've experienced it before. Okay, well, tell me more. And then the approach and the solution is like, what do you do about it, right? So approach is kind of like, what's your ultimate like promise or value? And solution is, okay, well, what, what is it that you provide at a tactical level and how does it help people? And then the action is the call to action, the ask, the, the what's the next step here? And so that mode of thinking when you're customer oriented and you're, when you're audience oriented, that's what you want to build like your company story around is what's going to get them to care. So, you know, earlier I, I mentioned the Simon Sinek, why, how, what model, which I think is a great model. I actually think there's more to it than that. And I think there's a, there's an internal why, how, what, or there's an internal why at the very least, which is like, like, like what is my belief? And then there's, why an am external, I doing this? Yeah. Why am I doing this? And then there's an external why, how, what, which is like, why should they care? Because I could have a belief about something, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have to care about it, <laughs> right? And I could keep promoting my belief, but you could still choose not to care. Yeah, so I've I got to match my belief with your care. Right, Raj, I have a friend who, for the last couple of years, she's been like, well, this is there. there's nobody doing this and it's needed and it's needed and it's needed. And I'm like, well, what if it's not needed? <laughs> yeah, maybe there's a reason no one's done it. <laughs> but you keep beating your head against the wall. You know, maybe you're too early or maybe there really just isn't a need for it. You want there to be a need for it. Mm -hmm. So for many entrepreneurs, they, they have these great ideas and they're like, well, but they should just flock to it. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> Why aren't they buying? Is that just right. a problem in story? Can anything be made? I mean, look, they sold pet rocks when I was a little kid. Right. I mean, that was the major marketing and you're too young to remember that. But pet rocks were massive. It was a rock in a box. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are cases where you promote a belief enough that people just get on board with it. And in those cases, they, they, they do and they can't exist. You've got to have an amazing evangelist behind that. When you don't have that, there's got to be a core market need. And it could be they don't necessarily know they need your thing yet, but you've got to be able to at least map it to a challenge, a problem that they are familiar with today, that they are experiencing today, which is kind of that classic like um, – I think Henry Ford said, if I asked them what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. Right. Right. So it's not like you're saying like, oh, I'm only going to create the things that they're asking for. That's, that's not the point. It's I'm going to, I'm going to thoroughly assess what is the challenge that, or the set of challenges they're experiencing. And if I can understand that well enough, I can draw them to a new way of thinking that, that they haven't, considered before and i can draw them to buying this thing that they hadn't even known existed before right like did the, did the world really know it needed an ipad when the ipad came out no they had an iphone or, or we had an ipod smartphones. right <laughs> so we like we had these like we we didn't know we needed the products we just knew that there were some issues that were we're constantly causing friction in our lives and smart companies said okay they're experiencing this and no one's solved for it yet but they're still experiencing the pain even though no one's solved for it yet and the pain's not going away and we have some indicators that say they would buy in this direction if something was offered to them And it goes right back to your Kepasa, right? Those people that have the companies that have created this stickiness with their brands or mm -hmm. created a whole new industry that we didn't even know we needed. They were able to take your Kepasa, the problem um, approach, solution, and action, and have their whys from both sides. Why are we? pushing this and why should the client care? They were able to be consistent with that over time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, an emerging tech company example, who's just going like gangbusters right now is gong. Um, they have created a category around revenue intelligence. They just raised another massive round at a $7 billion valuation and they're only like a four-year-old company. Um, and prior to Gong, sales leaders didn't know they needed a better sales coaching software or a coaching software to begin with. They didn't know they needed a better way to record and capture the voice of the customer. But they did know, most likely, that... It's really hard to keep track of their reps' true performance. 
And doing those weekly one-on-one meetings is crazy subject to that rep's bias and them lying, you know, conveniently being like, oh yeah, I'm going to hear back from them this week. Right. And they did know that they probably enjoy coaching, but it just takes up way too much time and they end up getting pulled doing other things. And so then a company like Gong can create this software and say, hey, you have all of those issues. Here's how you're going to never experience that again. We're going to be total transparency into your pipeline. You're going to make decisions based off of reality and not, um, or you're going to make decisions based off of data, not your gut. And your whole team is going to grow as a result. And your whole company's bottom line is going to grow as a result. If somebody's been in business for a bunch of years, Raj, and they they want to take things to another level, like they've plateaued. Is it typically because, I mean, I know there's a lot of factors, right, in, involved in it, but is story a large factor in not being able to expand it? The story you're telling your your employees and the stories outside your company, is that a factor in it by Fixing your story, like being clear on it, both internal and external, can that help a business shift? I think story is not just a factor. I think it's like the lead indicator. Because if if that's understood, then there's a then you know what like you operate in the direction of what story are we trying to fulfill? So if the story is maxed out or if it's capped or if it's not performing well, you're just going to, you're going to keep going in the direction of that story until someone says, we need to rethink this. And, and, you know, I think one great example of that very recently was Disney. Right. And then it was, it was pandemic induced, which many companies had to pivot as a result, but they're like, Hey, we're, we're capped out at the traditional theatrical release. And now the new story that we're trying to fulfill is that the future of Disney, the future is home entertainment, is streaming. And we're going to reallocate all this money towards our streaming platform and prioritize that first above all else. And yeah, we'll still have theatrical releases once, once they're available again. But Disney Plus is now the North Star of this company. And my God, the growth that they had over the last you know year, year and a half is absolutely insane. And what and think about, especially for the the more modern parents, how mm-hmm. helpful that is because, man, getting three kids to a movie theater, putting two of them in car seats and one of them's you know just past the car seats and it only needs a seatbelt. And buying all the tickets and making sure there's the popcorn and uh, making sure so-and-so went to the bathroom before they arrived, but the other daughter didn't go to the bathroom. So she's got to use that gross public toilet, right? And then having to make sure your other kid doesn't run away in the process and then sit in their seat for that full hour and a half, two hours. That's a lot for parents, especially when both parents are working parents. Right. And you only get to watch the movie once. Right. And so for that, you know, that new target audience or that new parent, right? Disney Plus is a godsend because you know what? We can save like $75 on all the extra things we got to buy and all the tickets. And we can do it from the comfort of our living room. And guess what? By the end of the movie, 
you're on the couch anyway. And so your kids are, are going to be sleeping. You don't have to worry about getting them home. <laughs> and they can watch it over and over and over again and annoy mm -hmm. the heck out of you because of, of all of the songs that get stuck in your head that Disney is so expert at. Right. 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 But, but not only that, for us geeks that like Marvel and Star Wars and all those other things, we have our world inside there, too. Yeah. And for those who like nostalgia now, we've got like the computer who wore tennis shoes when Kurt Russell was really young <laughs> and, and all of those pieces. So we could share. I don't have any kids, but I, I know parents who are sharing the movies that they grew up with with their kids yes. now because of Disney Plus. But yet there's a piece of the brand. And, and I know we're getting close to the end of the day. Like with Disney, they were known for their Disney Institute and the Disney way of doing business. And they traveled around the world teaching corporations how to work with employees, how to do all these different things. And then when COVID hit, Disney basically closed up Disney Institute and they weren't able to make a pivot they cut off all their clients that they were working with and ended up firing, like letting go all of these employees, which the way Disney handled their staff wasn't was very Disney like. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't very Disney like at all. Yeah. Yet they're still saying, but we're Disney. So that's like a brand disconnect due to crisis. Yes, they've pivoted to streaming, but are they just going to let go? this other part of the brand, can you do that? Can you just choose to let it go and not address it? They probably could have and should have handled that differently. And to be honest, they, I think if, if they didn't maybe panic with that division so quickly, they would have seen like, hey, there's actually a real opportunity here because now all these companies are virtual and they probably have no idea how to make sure to like do the full management like the employee's life being at home, right? They, they, I'm sure they could have come up with a new training program around how to yeah. like deal with all of that. So they, they should have handled that differently, I think. Um, overall, I kind of look at that as like the mistake, the blip on the overall Disney radar. But ultimately, you know, what Disney has not given up on is like that. It's just, it's just taking different forms now, right? Like with the Disney Plus is the magic like like the value of magic. like the magic of disney right providing like magical experiences right. they're finding the next frontier to be able to do that yeah i'm sure disney will figure out a way to pivot the disney institute to help people figure it out and hopefully that they will use the stories of what they learned during covid with their staff with their employees that maybe didn't go so well and figure out a way to help people people through that. But we are almost at the end of the show, Raj, and I wanna give people, cause I, like I said, I've gotten some text messages and everything and people <laughs> are like, how do we reach out to Raj? Does he have some resources that we can use? I, I know because we've done webinars together, you have some wonderful resources out on your websites. So how do people find you, reach out to you and perhaps engage with you if they need you to help them grow? Of course, of course. So the website is startuphypeman.com if you are a growing company or an established company who wants to figure out how you should be telling your story to your audience. 
Um, and I actually just added this to the website. If you just go to the homepage, startuphypeman.com, if you drop your email there, um, I've, I've put together a new video. We talked earlier about the Cape Pasta elevator pitch formula. So I've put together a quick uh, four minute video, breaking it down with examples um, and, and how you can develop one for your own company. So startuphypeman.com is how you get that. Um, I'm very active on LinkedIn, so you can find me there. Um, type in my name, or you could type in Raj Nation, and it'll show up as well. Uh, and then lastly, I host a podcast myself. It's called Startup Hype Man, the podcast, where we interview company leaders on their growth strategies every week. And we're a couple episodes before we wrap up this season, but um, there's a this is this is season 16, so we have a lot of episodes in the archive. And it's a great show. I, I highly recommend that that people find the show and go to your website and subscribe to get great information and do downloads. And definitely reach out on LinkedIn. They should connect with you or follow you on LinkedIn because you have wonderful things that you post pretty frequently out there that are great resources. So I want to thank you so much for being on the show. I'm so excited. I finally got to like, just ask you non-webinar like focused <laughs> questions. <laughs> you know? and, and I could go in all these different directions that I wanted to go in with you because these are things that have been brewing in my brain for such a while now. And uh, you've been a, a joy to have on the show and to play with. So thank you. I appreciate and, it. And thank you so much. We didn't talk about your rap. So where do people find out about your music career? Oh, sure. So that's, um, so let me tell you this. If you want the, the, the Raj Nation portfolio where you can access any of these things, go to www.therajnation.com. And that will give you a quick, it's just a, it's a landing page. It'll give you a quick link to any one of my things, including the hip hop. Okay, cool. I'm going to go, I'm going to have to go over there and, and check that part of you out a, another day. But thank you again for being here. And based on these, I just got another text message that just came in. And uh, it's like, wow, I've got stuff coming here and there, which is what I love about the show. Um, and for those listening on podcast, you didn't get to see um, everything that was going on on camera, but you can always go catch that later on. So Raj, thank you so much. We may have to do this again sometime. I would love to. Thank you so much for having me. We talked about so many different things on this episode today about branding, about story, especially about story and understanding your why internally and your why to your customers and why they should care about you and what you're talking about. I loved everything that Raj talked about. So please go out to startuphypeman.com, download some of his great resources. Um, feel free to go out to the live stream here and put your chat. We'll be monitoring some of that and I can get your questions to Raj or um, answer them as best that I can as well. So at the end of the day, remember the right questions can change your life. So what are you asking today? Have a great day, everybody. You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today.